I, welcome to, uh, this morning. We're glad to see you here together today. We're all kind of dressed a little bit casual and uh, because we're going to be having a picnic afterwards. And so we hope that you've planned to come be with us and spend a little time with us. Um, today, as we start our uh, worship time together, I just want us to concentrate on one thing. We're obviously, uh, at, towards the end of the service, we're going to be celebrating communion. And we usually, uh, we usually remember Christ, what he did for the cro- on the cross, what he did, how he suffered and bled and died for us. We remember that. But today, I just wanted to do it a little bit different. We want to remember Christ for everything, everything that he's done, all the way back before creation, all the way to, to what he did for us, all the way to the future when he's coming back for us and we're going to be living forever uh, with him. I, also, I just want to remember that's the Christ that I want us to worship this morning. So I thought a good thing uh, that we would do is just start off with a great hymn of praise, hymn of victory, because that's what it's all about, folks, is victory. Uh, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Amen? So anyway, let's all stand. Let's sing on victory in Jesus, maybe. I heard an old, old story, our Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love. me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Let's sing a victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redemption. me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story 
And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Okay, let's sing it. Let's go. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to weekend so far. Of course, yesterday was a steady diet of uh, football, followed by football, and then finally capped off by football. And uh, my team was one of the last ones to play, and, and I was worried about that. But uh, they, they did all right. I hope your team uh, pleased you. If not, then that's why we play again next week. We have a chance to, to change uh, things from what they are as of uh, today. Everything's okay? Good, good. While I was down uh, this week at St. George Island, I had never heard of that place. Didn't know they had an island named after me. And I looked into buying a lot, and they said, no, you don't want to do that. Don't even look into it. I think lots started about a million dollars just for a lot. I said, well, how about a cart path between two houses? And they said, well, that's about 80000 bucks." I don't know. But we had a great time with my daughter and her family and Riley, my grandson, whose father passed away back in the end, at the end of May. We had a great time together. The Lord gave us a good time of fun, some beautiful weather. But sometimes while they were out there burning in the sun, I would sneak back to the house they had rented, and I would turn on the television and just surf. I was trying to find the Ryder Cup, watch some of that, or anything, anything. And found one channel that was playing the old-fashioned, old-time westerns, the, the old TV shows. And here comes the one paladin, have gun, will travel. And he lives a very plush lifestyle in San Francisco. He lives at a hotel, and his calling card is, you can contact, contact him there. And he wears suits and ties, and he drinks champagne and all that stuff. But when he gets a job... Somebody needs help. A woman, her husband is trying to steal her, her endowment or a town who's been taken over by a wicked sheriff or whatever it is. Then he gets on his black horse wearing his black boots and his black pants and his black shirt and his black hat and his black gun belt. And I don't know how far he has to go or how long it takes him, but he gets there. And in the course of that episode, he figures out who the bad people are, and he straightens it all out. Then he comes back to San Francisco. But the, the name of the whole thing is, Have Gun, Will Travel. He's just a hired gun. And he'll go anywhere if he thinks he can clean up a problem. Well, as I was watching that, 
I said, well, I've already given my sermon a title because I had entitled, let's see, what did I put there? Yeah, I had given my sermon a title from persecutor to preacher, talking about the Apostle Paul. But after watching Paladin, I said, you know, I think that uh, I need to turn this on. Yeah. I need to change it to have gospel will travel. Because that's, that would fit the Apostle Paul. That's the kind of guy uh, he became. And in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 1, it all begins. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I said, I'm going to preach on one verse. That'll guarantee that I'll be through in plenty of time for all the rest. But the more I dug and dug, I could do a series of sermons until Jesus comes, just on this one verse. It is just so loaded with, with, with goodies. But I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I want you to notice what he didn't say. When he wrote this letter, what did he not say about himself? And to answer that question, we go back to Acts chapter 22. And Paul wants to address the mob in Jerusalem. They want to kill him. They don't like what he's saying. And he says, they're going to arrest him. He says, can I speak to the people? Okay. And he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel. He was the number one rabbi, the teacher of teachers. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. You're mad at me because you think you're being zealous to God and you think that I'm going against what God teaches. I persecuted this way. That's what he called Christians. He called it this way. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. I didn't care. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Have, gun will travel, so to speak. And he goes on in this passage to talk about Damascus and being confronted by the living Christ on the Damascus road. But let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Um, he says in Galatians 1, as he writes to the Galatian church, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. See, that was the old Paul. Paul would go anywhere at any cost if he could find Christians so he could bring them back to be judged by Judaism. They were the enemy. They shouldn't be allowed to go around living and doing the things that they do, proclaiming 
this man Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That was the old Paul. He was Mr. Jew, voted most likely to go to heaven. Now, I'm back on this one. All right. I'm, I'm confused. Whose notes are these? <laughs> Boy, you can easily get confused. The old Paul, he was the most feared man of his day. He was unequal in his education. He was voted most likely to go to heaven by his peers. And by the way, they weren't going either. And he was zealous beyond measure in his hatred of the way, which was biblical Christianity. He would have hated you and me at that time because we would have been a part of that way. But that was the old Paul. And uh, there are things said about Paul that, that talk about the, the changes that happened in, in, in his life. In Galatians 1 on down, he says, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, quote, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. So he went from persecutor of the way to proclaimer of the way through his conversion. And so who's the new Paul? Well, Romans 1.1, that's the new Paul. He says, I'm a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I'm called as an apostle, and I'm set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, let's look a little deeper into these three things that Paul says about himself and see if we can better appreciate who he is by his own testimony. And first of all, we'll look at Paul, the bondservant of Christ Jesus. In all probability, Paul chose that word doulos, which can mean servant, but it also takes on a, a technical meaning. Uh, he used it a number of times in Galatians 1.10 and James 1.1 and 2 Peter 1.1 and Jude 1. He liked to put that in his address when he began a letter to someone as he was writing he would say, Paul, a bondservant. He wanted to be known as a bondservant. And I think it has its roots in the Old Testament. It has its roots as far back as the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 21, it says in verses 2 and then 5 and 6, If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. But if the slave plainly says, quote, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. And that word there could mean to the one God has delegated to have authority. I will bring him to God, and then he shall bring him to the door of the door, doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. That's one of those hand drills uh, 
He'll drill a hole through his ear. This was way before uh, jewelry got, got real popular today. And he shall serve him permanently. This was a provision that God allowed under the law for a man who was a slave who had the right to go free. But he said, I don't want to go free. I love my master. And I love having my children and my wife with me together. And I don't want to leave. I want to serve him for the rest of my life. And so to distinguish him from the other slaves, they would drill that hole into his ear. So that no matter where he went, they would know, well, he's a slave of, of John Brown. But they would also know he doesn't have to be. He chose to be. He chose to be for the rest of his life. It's irrevocable. It can never be changed. But Paul says, I don't want it changed. That's the, fast, that's the, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I will never go back to being in bondage to anyone else. I want to be a servant of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the significance of what happened. He's saying that he's totally committed to serving Christ now and forever. It's total commitment, and it's voluntary commitment. He's not being coerced. He's not being bribed. He's saying you have a choice. You can go free or you can stay. And he says, I'm staying. I would not want to have any other master than you. And the application for the Christian is that there's no greater master to serve than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, not everybody agrees with that. There are a lot of people, a lot of people who say they're Christians who are not serving Christ Jesus. They're serving uh, themselves, maybe, or they're serving uh, money or power or they're caught up in, in sports to where uh, they, they, their whole life revolves around uh, a sports team or, or a city or whatever it may be. Paul is saying, listen, I want to serve Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Referring to deity. He's God. I want to serve God because look what God did for me. He liberated me from the penalty of my sin through his son on the cross. So the motive for lordship for you and I is not fear of hell if you don't. You better serve Jesus or you're not going to make it. That's not the motivation. The motivation is the joy of being a servant of Jesus Christ. No one greater than Him. And you can serve Him all the days of your life in this life, and then it gets even better. There's not enough money, Paul would say. There's not enough of anything that you could ever tempt me with for me to change my mind. I will never change my mind. I want to serve him. And God gives us that freedom because God is glorified when we choose to honor him and to serve him. Fellas, think about 
this is probably true of you ladies as well, but men, think about the day you proposed to your wife. I'm assuming you did. In some cases, maybe she proposed to I don't know. But let's say you proposed to her. In the, in the modern world, anything can happen. But you asked her, will you be my wife? And she could have said, are you kidding? <laughs> no, no way. I got five other guys I'm dating, and I like it the way it is. You know, I'll, I want to date you, but I'm not going to marry you. Now, what if we would go back to the old caveman days, and you would pick out the one you want? And you would sneak up on her when she wasn't looking with a club. And you would hit her in the head and knock her out. And then grab her by her hair and drag her back to your man cave. And say, now from now on, you're my wife. Is there any fulfillment in that? Does that make you feel good? When you know that any, the first chance she gets, she's gone. You know, if you have to make her stay, you have to make her do this, make her do that. But the minute she has an opportunity to, to leave, boom, she's gone. How much more are we uh, ingratiated when knowing that there may be other men that would like to marry her as well? But she says, I will marry you. We well, see, God gives us choice because he could just make us robots where we do what he tells us to do. We do what he wants us to do. And there are things that he wants us to do. He wants us to be obedient and to follow him. But he says, you must choose. You must choose because when a servant chooses to follow his master, that makes the master feel a whole lot more special than if I had to make you do something. And so he is saying that I have chosen. I'd rather have Jesus than anything in this world. Oh, George Beverly Shea used to sing that at every Billy Graham crusade, or he sang it a lot anyway. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. There's another verse. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Is that the beat of your heart? Could you say, that's the way I feel? Or are you saying, well, hey, I appreciate what he did for me. And, you know, I want to I be friendly with him, but... Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And people that are saying that basically are saying that I will, uh, I'd rather have me. I am the king of my kingdom. I'm the captain of my soul. And uh, 
By the way, the greatest freedom of all, I think according to Paul, the greatest freedom of all is to become a slave of Jesus Christ. I don't know anybody who would call themselves a bondservant of Christ who are saying, oh, and I'm miserable. I just can't do the things I want to do. I wish I could do this and do that, but no, I got to serve Jesus. I've never met anybody like that. Now, I've met a lot of people who don't serve Jesus and they feel like that. No matter how much money they have, no matter how much power they have, no matter how many cars, uh, whatever. It's never enough. It's never enough. You know why? It will never satisfy because God did not make us to find satisfaction in the creation. He made us to find satisfaction in the Creator. And when we commit ourselves to following Him, to honoring Him as our Lord and Savior, not only is God pleased, but it, it changes your perspective about everything you finally realize how important you are, that God was willing to do that for you. If you would have been the only person, he would have died for you. But anyway, Paul says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, I'm called as an apostle. And that's the word, uh, well, apostle is apostolos, but the word called is kaleo, which is a word meaning to call. But with Paul, he's saying, this gave me ability. It gave me ability because I'm called by God. And whenever you're called by God to do anything, God always gives you ability to do what he wants you to do. It would be cruel for him to say, I want you to do this, but good luck. You won't get any help from me. No, we have divine enablement for everything that God wants us to do. And Paul was being called to something that had never, ever happened before. He was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Nobody had ever gone to them before. And Paul was the first one to go. He made three trips. And finally, what did he get for it? He got a free trip to Rome, all expenses paid. But he was excited about that because he said, that's the center of civilization. I want to be there and tell them about Jesus. They put him in a prison there and chained him to, slave, to guards. And he said, great, they can't get away. They can't leave. Yeah, I take somebody out in a boat and want to talk about the Lord with them. And they say, hey, yeah, I don't want to hear that. I said, well, you're welcome to leave. <laughs> I always make sure I'm out in a real deep part when that, when that happens. But Paul said, God has given me ability, and he's also given me authority. He had authority as an apostle. When he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, For this reason I'm writing these things while absent, in order that when present I may not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. God gave him authority, and he gave him ability to do what he called him to do. As far as being an apostle, Alan Johnson, he says, it's, they're legally authorized to act on behalf of another, and it carries full authority, or he carries full authority of the one who commissioned you. So as he went from city to city, 
He said, my message is already fixed. It's the message of the one who called me. And he's given me authority. Authority to preach. And I'm preaching the truth to you. And as you hear me preach, this is what God himself would tell you. Because this is what God has told me. He wasn't inventing his own message. Well, you know, I think society is ready now for something a little different. No. He said, culture changes, but the message never changes. And the messenger's responsibility is to be clear with the message. Because it's a message of grace. A lot of messages being preached today. At, at my son's funeral, I, I, I think I told you, but there were people who came up to me afterwards, grown people. They had never, ever heard the gospel of grace before. And I'm thinking, how in the world can that be? How in the world? And maybe that's one reason why the Lord took my son home. It created an opportunity for a lot of people to hear about the grace of Jesus. And by the way, we talk about Paul being called. We're called as well. In verse 6, he says, Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. We have a calling just as Paul. Verse 7, he says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Now, in the system that lives in Rome, you have to live a long life and do some miraculous things to become a saint. Plus, you've got to die. God says, no, you're a saint while you're alive. And you don't have to do anything to be a saint other than trust my son. When we come to know Christ as our Savior, we become saints of God. And that word saints is a word that means holy. We're called to be holy ones. And we are in our position. He says, now walk according to your position. Let your progression validate your position. Live a life of holiness. Because that is a witness to the world as well. Um, we are legalized, authorized, and deputized, as one man said to be servants of Christ, we're called. Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now that's never been totally fulfilled. The apostles didn't fulfill that. Even today it's not fulfilled. That's why we have the Ambrosiuses over uh, in the Philippines. That's why we have Fran... And uh, I forget the, the Janice. She's a pretty one. I ought to remember her, I ought to remember her name. <laughs> That's why you know, they, they are giving their life to serving. And, and is it Borneo? Papua New Guinea. I know it's somewhere over there. Why are we going to these places? Because the job's not finished. And we're called. Some are called to go directly. Some are called to support those who go. Some are called just to make sure that we tell the people that are still here of the same great message. Salvation is believing what God did for sinners to make them righteous. 
Salvation is not behaving in a certain way to please God and to merit salvation. You cannot merit salvation, but by believing, you're imputed with the righteousness of God. There's another verse that reminds us that we do have a calling. He said, when you, he told the disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all the Judea, all of Judea and Samaria, even unto the remotest part of the earth. And we're still going. Why? Because there's still people who haven't heard. And we'll go until Jesus comes. By the word, by the way, uh, that word uh, set apart, uh, we, haven't, we haven't come to it yet. Uh, I love that cartoon. I just had to sneak it in. Kermit, he's sitting there and the doctor is looking at his x-ray. He said, Kermit, what I'm going to tell you is going to be a shock. You've got Emmys, you've got can uh, Oscars, you've won every award that you can win in the entertainment industry. You're considered the frog of all frogs. And you've never done a thing in your life. That hand in you, that's what's done everything that you've ever done that's been praiseworthy. And that's the picture of me and you. God is saying, you've done a lot of things. And the world says, hey, bravo, bravo. But he says, you've never done anything to please me unless that spirit who dwells in you is doing it through you. See, we have a spiritual hand in us, the spirit. And that's what Paul was trying to say. He's called to go out and serve, to go where the hand wants him to go, to say what the hand wants him to say, to do what the hand wants him to do. And we all have that calling. A bondservant called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That word set apart, by the, word, by the way, uh, the root word for set apart is horizo. And out of that comes the English word horizon. Now, what is the horizon? It's that line that separates earth from, from sky. We saw the most beautiful sunset. No. We saw the most beautiful moonrise. That's what it was, Glenda. Uh, right out in front of us, out of the water, here comes this moon, and it's almost red because of the atmosphere. And then the higher it got, the whiter it got, until finally it was all white. But it was a full moon, and it just came right up out of the ocean. And the grandkids were saying, What's it doing there? Well, it wasn't in the ocean. The horizon, we couldn't see. That was the line that divided earth from sky. And as we rotated, it was coming up. Then the next morning, we saw a sunrise. Same thing. Beautiful, beautiful sunrise. And it just came up out of the ocean. But the horizon is that line that separates, it divides. And Paul is saying, I have been divided. I've been set apart. 
I'm no longer in this circle. I'm now in this circle. This circle was the old Paul. This circle is the new Paul. In this circle, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. In this servant, I'm called as an apostle. In this servant, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. And I don't take a month off to go back to the old. 52 weeks out of the year. Seven days a week. <laughs> 24 hours a day. He said, that's me. The only time I'll ever go back to that circle is to tell them about what they can have in this circle. <laughs> and God doesn't tell us that we're not to have relationships with non-believers. We are to have relationships with them so that we can tell them what we now know to be the, the life-giving truth of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, I'm set apart. That's a perfect passive participle, by the way. Isn't that great? It means that the action of that continues on and on and on. I will always be set apart. I will never again ever go back to being in this circle. I will always be in this circle. When you came to Christ, you were denouncing the world that you still live in. Because now, in the world that you have denounced, you are a new creature. God left us here because he has a mission for us. We have a calling to tell the world about Jesus Christ so that they can all know. That word uh, for horizon, horizo, uh, I was recalling an experience a few years back when I went to, Florida, to Georgia to visit my adopted parents Poppy and, and Nama, and he loves the fish. And he said, I'm going to take you to a special place. I said, let's go. And we drove from Georgia into north, crossed into Florida, and it's, it's near White Springs, White Springs, Florida. And it's a, a, a hunting club, hunting and fishing club. You have memberships. And I got in as a guest. And we drove to a place where there was a, a, a little lake, but it, it was, it was kind of narrow, and it was long, like a finger. And we launched the boat, and we went down that thing, and he fished that side, and I fished this side, and just about every cast, we're catching a bass or a crappie or a brim or a jackfish or something. I mean, it's unbelievable, the fish that are in that. And when we get to the end, there's a little cut. And we didn't have time, but he says, if we go through that cut, there's another one right next to it. We finally had to leave. And when I got home, I started thinking about that place. And so I Googled it on Google Earth. And I found it. Bienville Plantation. Try, Google it. Bienville Plantation. And then when you get to it, pull away. And you'll see that not only is there two of those fingers, the one we fished in and the one that we didn't get the chance to fish in, there's over 60 of them. It used to be a phosphorus pit where they strip mine for, for phosphorus. And it, they hit an underwater aquifer or something, and it all started filling up with water. And so they abandoned it and turned it into a fishing preserve and, and all that, and they're probably making more money this way than, than before. 
But you look at it from the satellite photograph, and it's amazing what you see when you broaden your horizon. You know, if you're in this building, your horizon are these walls. That's your horizon. You can't see further than these walls. But if you go outside and get in the helicopter and start going up, all of a sudden you'll see all of Trustful and all of Pinson and all of Centerpoint and Argo. And if you go up high enough, you'll die because you'll run out of oxygen. So don't, don't do that. But the higher you go, the broader your horizon will be. Paul said, I'm with Christ. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. And the implications of his gospel is that you can have eternal life with him for eternity and never have to deal with sin. He said, and that's the message I'm trying to get to whoever will listen. And uh, I challenge you. The new Paul, he was a bondservant. He was called as an apostle. He was set apart for the gospel of God. What about you? Are you a bondservant of Christ? Or are you a servant of self? Are you called to be a witness to the gospel of God's grace? Or are you called to do your thing until the end comes? Are you set apart for the gospel of God? Or are you set apart for pleasure and fun and talk to people once in a while? I'll leave you with two penetrating questions. Is there anything in your life that you love more than Jesus Christ? You don't have to answer. Answer yourself. Is there anything in this life that you love more than Jesus Christ? If so, why? Why are you putting cow manure ahead of gold? Paul himself said, I consider all these things to be but manure in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. You have a chance to walk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have a chance to be a servant of the greatest individual who has ever lived on this earth and still lives. You have a chance to enjoy him now, knowing that it will get even better one day. What is there on this earth that you think is greater than that? I can't think of anything. He's the one who saved us from penal, uh, the penalty, a sin's penalty. He's the one who is saving us today from the power of sin by the spirit that dwells in us. He's the one who will one day take us home, never again, to even be in the presence of sin. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, may we always live to serve you. May we see our calling and do it. 
May we live so as to leave no doubt that we belong to you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the choir comes up and as we uh, prepare to um, ourselves for the time together in communion, um, just wanted to take some time and let's just uh, just praise him. Just praise him because he's our blessed redeemer. And we want to uh, owe him that we're going to do to start off with. It talks about his excellent greatness because of who he always was, the Christ of Way back when, we can't even think about that. But then the Christ that came and hung on a cross for every one of our sins. And then the Christ that's coming and that we will live forever. That's the Christ we want to remember today. And we want to lift up his name because in his name, in that name, is the Christ Jesus of what we just talked about, of everything. Christ Jesus of everything. So let's just take this time and let's praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. And let's all stand as we sing, may we? Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory.
a name above all names. Listen to me.
Amen. Thank you, Lord.